welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Tay Shwetmik territory within the unceded traditional lands of Shwetmik Ulu. And today's text, Unpregnant, starts in Columbia, Missouri, which is the homeland of the Peoria, Osage, Kaskaskia, Ocheti Sakoin, and Kickapoo peoples. And it ends in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is homeland of the Pueblo, Tiwa, and Pierdo peoples. And Joe, I really wanted to foreground like the territoriality of the beginning and the mm-hmm. end because. This is a text where colonial border imposition matters Mm -hmm. a lot. We're going to talk today a bit about like abortion law and how it functions in the States. And it really is like this patchwork. And depending on where you live, you have really different access. And it made me think about how like borders are this construct that just ruins people's lives. (laughs) There's my opening salvo. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I freaking loved it. I actually asked you to do some additional homework for this episode. And folks, I would encourage you to consider this a bit of a companion piece to the conversation that Brenna and I, I mean, really, we talked about it, not extensively, but a fair amount in our very first episode on the perks mm-hmm. of being a wallflower. But then we really got into it on our episode on never, rarely, sometimes, always, which is very much the same kind of narrative but it's treated more dramatically serious than this text unpregnant but it's ironic that the film version of unpregnant came out the same year so really 2020 was very concerned about women's reproductive health and the extent to which we make it inaccessible for young women for poor people uh and yeah for people who live in certain geographic areas so i really appreciate that you not only gave the time to elaborate on the territorial acknowledgement but also just yeah this is going to be shots fired folks because (laughs) these texts shouldn't even have to exist well no and it's really it's baffling to me that this conversation is still happening i have to say and like Mm -hmm. and worse (laughs) worse yeah since these two movies came out the situation for reproductive freedom in the U.S. has gotten substantially worse. Uh-huh. And I think that that is a really important thing to keep in mind. And Canadian listeners, before I let you off the hook, mm-hmm. uh, we have really significant issues with access. We don't have any laws in place in this country that prevent abortion access, but we have a big, <laughs> big country and services are not equally available across it. And I'm going to talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about, you know, the way things look in other countries too today. But I just think when we think about abortion, it's so wrapped up in values and religion and personal beliefs and, and, and personal ideas about right and wrong. And we lose track of the fact that it's a healthcare issue. Yes. Yes. It's not a religious freedoms issue. It's not about punishing. Well, actually, no, it's very much about punishing (laughs) young women. I hate the way that the conversation about abortion always becomes about other issues. Mm -hmm. And instead, it should be about women's reproductive health. It should be about access 
people need to be able to make up their own minds about their own bodies. And that's what I hate. It becomes about other people's subjectivity about what should and does end up affecting other people's bodies. And that is, I want to say baffling, but it's actually legitimately infuriating. And I hate that we don't trust people, particularly young women, often to make up their own minds about what they need to do for their own bodies, their own livelihoods, and their own lives. I mean, yes. <laughs> yes to all of that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I, it makes me really, really mad. Like, I hate the whole conversation about abortion because it's nobody's business. No. Except the person's. Yes. Uh, yes, correct. And I guess, okay, so for context, if you haven't seen Unpregnant or you're not familiar with the book. Oh, right. We're still talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about a book and a movie. <laughs> I'm going to give a mini capsule um, synopsis of what the book and film are both about. Okay. Just so that then I'm going to segue into why, I guess I'm going to segue into the legalities of everything that gets talked about in the film. So basically, I'm going to start with the novel, Joe, although mm -hmm. I feel it's likely I'm going to conflate the two in my head because the novel is a really fast read. And mm -hmm. so yeah, anytime we have a fast read, I tend to <laughs> lose the details. But anyway, Unpregnant is the story of Veronica Clark. She's 17 years old. She's uh, up for class valedictorian. She's going to go to Brown in the fall. It's her senior year of high school. And she's pregnant. Yep. She's the good girl who's got this one little secret. And she's not pregnant because of, you know, maybe quote unquote carelessness. Uh, she's specifically pregnant because her boyfriend doesn't oh, want her to leave the small town in Missouri where they both live. And he's scared of her going off to Brown. And so he puts holes in their condoms so that she will get pregnant. Yeah, that was just an absolute jaw dropper moment in the book. And I'm disappointed that the film softens it. It becomes mm -hmm. more of a, oops, the condom broke and I just didn't tell you. So he's definitely still a dick in the movie. But in the novel, it is full on just oh you're trying to control her life and her body and it's really important to remind us all that that's a sex crime mm -hmm. putting holes in contraceptive you know damaging anything that's being used to prevent sexually transmitted diseases these are actually sex crimes and He's a predator. He's also a stalker. He yes. follows her throughout the book. Um, mm -hmm. He always finds out where she is. He's trying to talk her out of this abortion. And of course, the overlaying sort of culture here is that these are very conservative Christians. In the film, their position is Catholics. So we have that portrait of the Pope over the mantle. But in mm -hmm. the book, I'm pretty sure they're evangelical Christians. And yeah. this important piece of the backstory is that Veronica's sister also got pregnant in high school. Mm -hmm. And she was planning to study to be a nurse her father forced her to get married to the yeah. boy who got her pregnant and now she's trapped mm -hmm. but not only is she trapped her father treats her terribly his yes. lack of respect for her is palpable and so veronica's not just trying to avoid this fate of being tied down to a boy she doesn't really love with a kid she's also trying to avoid her father's disdain and that mm -hmm. is another thing that gets omitted from the movie joe it's, i texted joe and i was like this movie is too easy on men 
Yeah, basically. <laughs> it really does soften those two characters significantly. Well, and the book is incredibly damning. It's one of the things I actually like about both of the iterations of this story is that in some ways it's treated as very much a buddy road trip comedy and i think that's one of the things that people like to praise it for is that it's tackling a difficult subject matter with a lot of humor the book in particular it's unafraid of pulling its punches about the realities of what being a teenage mother does in terms of your self-perception but also the way that other people treat you mm-hmm Yeah, absolutely. In fact, Veronica doesn't feel like she can tell anyone in her life what she's going through, including maybe especially her best friends. And there's a line Mm -hmm. in the book where she says, we're best friends because of our successes, not because of our failures. And I felt that in my guts. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a high achieving Mm -hmm. teenager, like, holy cow. And her inability to be anything but perfect, even to the people who are supposed to be closest to her. So instead of reaching out to her friends, she reaches out to a former friend, somebody she was actually really horrible to. And that's Mm -hmm. one thing I think is an interesting narrative choice is that Veronica Clark, kind of a bad person, not a bad person because she got pregnant, a bad person because she's a garbage friend who's obsessed (laughs) with her own (laughs) self-perception. Yeah. And of course, it's a YA book. So over the course of the narrative, she will come to realize that she should and could have done things differently and better. But yeah, it's kind of refreshing to see that, yeah, she's super high achieving. She is the golden girl of the school of her parents' eye. And she's not great. She's not a very good person. So this is what kicks off the plot thrust of the film. She goes to her former friend Bailey and tells her what's happening. Well, actually, Bailey finds out. Bailey finds the pregnancy test. So Bailey already knows. (laughs) And Bailey kind of treats her like, aha, this, <laughs> you you don't deserve this, but also I'm not unhappy that it's happening to yeah, you. Totally. Um, but Bailey's also the only person who knows and the only person with a car. So Bailey gets brought along to drive Veronica to Albuquerque to get her abortion. And the reason mm-hmm. they have to do that, and this is where I'm going to segue into my newsy bit, Joe. Got it. <laughs> the reason they have to do that is because in Missouri... It's illegal for Veronica to get an abortion without her parents' consent, even though yep. she's maybe eight weeks along. Mm-hmm. And in Albuquerque, she can do it without her parents' consent. And this yep. is, I mean, it's a great premise for a movie because it sets you up for a road trip, mm-hmm. but it's a terrible thing in real life where geography in the U.S. really shapes what access you have to abortion. So. Mm-hmm. I've pulled out some like little facts. So across the U.S., 37 states require some type of parental involvement in a minor's decision to have an abortion. So in 27 of those states, both parents or one parent, it varies, have to consent to the procedure. And in the remaining 10, one parent or both parents has to be notified by the clinic before the procedure can take place. So the situation that Veronica is in is actually the situation in the vast majority of U.S. Mm-hmm. states. And that's a really important thing to keep in mind, um, especially if you're watching it from outside of a jurisdiction where you might be like, oh, well, yeah, the South or whatever. Yeah, you exactly. might have some perception about like, oh, Missouri. Mm-hmm. No, 37 states yeah. involve the parent in the decision about whether or not to have an abortion, even with a 17-year-old. Yeah, this is not a fixed geography problem. This is, hey, 
it's probably affecting most of the people in the U.S. And so you might think, well, okay, so you go to a state where it's possible. So obviously, number one, a lot of privilege in being able to just Mm -hmm, move around. mm -hmm. But number two, 25 states require a person seeking an abortion to wait for a specified period of time, usually 24 hours, between when they receive counseling and when the procedure is performed. So not only do you have to get to another state, but you have to put yourself up there for probably 24, maybe 48 hours before you can have the procedure done. Yeah. And folks, remember that that is the situation that befalls the protagonist of never, rarely, sometimes, always. Yeah, she thinks she can get her procedure done, and then she really, really can't. Mm -hmm. It's also important to know that 12 of those 25 states have laws that effectively require the patient to make two separate trips to the clinic in order to obtain the procedure. Which I can understand for health concerns, but it also feels like a hurdle that is just insurmountable for a lot of people, and particularly people who are traveling to come there for the procedure. Well, and you know, if it was for health concerns, you would have the procedure in the first visit and follow-up care in the second, right? But that's not what's happening. It's counseling in the first visit and the procedure in the second. Um, That counseling in many states involves blatant misinformation. So in many states, abortion providers are required to tell patients that it will increase their risk of breast cancer, which is very troubled science and not at all a consensus. In many states, they're required to tell the person seeking the abortion that it may harm their fertility later Mm -hmm. in life. Likewise, not something that's backed up by science. And in many states, that counseling is required to involve some discussion of the likelihood of depression or other mental health issues after the abortion, which again is not supported by the science. Let's not talk about the depression or the isolation or the damaging effects of being made to keep a child for <laughs> 18 years. No, or, that's you know, the fun. economic ramifications, the societal judgment and blame. Yeah, no, but let's definitely talk about the dangers of abortion. Also, I'm I'm going to encourage us to not say the procedure. I would like us to say abortion as frequently as possible. That's a good point. You know, when I was a young abortion activist, when I lived in New Brunswick, I remember so clearly someone telling me that I would feel differently after oh, I was pregnant. And I did feel differently after I was pregnant. I was more violently in favor of <laughs> reproductive freedom because pregnancy is scary and overwhelming Mm -hmm. and painful when it's something that you desperately want right if it's something that you don't want i can't imagine i've never had to be in that position and i can't imagine how terrifying that would be Mm -hmm. it's important to know also one of the reasons why we talk about roe v wade all the time roe v wade is the legal case that made abortion legal in the u.s Mm -hmm. the reason why it's so important as it's currently being discussed at the Supreme Court, is that there are already eight states, Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Michigan, Mississippi, Oklahoma, West Virginia, and Wisconsin, that have abortion bans on their laws that will come into effect the second row is overturned. Right. And more states are passing those Mm -hmm. laws every year. In fact, in 2012, we've seen restrictions on abortion rights in Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Arizona, South Dakota, Montana, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Tennessee, Ohio, Kentucky, Idaho, Pennsylvania, and Missouri. (laughs) 
I thought the list was going to stop after like five states, Brenna. <laughs> no, it hasn't. So, you know, access to abortion is getting harder and harder in the U.S. And I suspect, I think that's why we're starting to see these movies emerge, this response, this desire to challenge the culture war, to show a different side. You know, mm-hmm. we look back at a film like Juno. Yes. Where they couldn't even say abortion. Yep. Right? And same with Perks of Being a Wallflower. And now we're seeing films where young women get abortions and don't regret it. And I think that that change Goodness. is a necessary one to help people see. I also, this is where I'm going to step in and make note that I don't want Canadians to feel smug. So Canadians, sometimes when we talk about abortion, we we really sort of rest all on our laurels on the mm-hmm. fact that there are no federal laws regarding abortion in Canada. Right. Way, way back in the 60s, it was determined that abortion was a decision between a pregnant person and their doctor, and that was it. Right. Now, some provinces have passed some laws about late-term abortions. Right. But for the most part, abortion is not a legally governed thing in Canada. It's governed by, you know, practices of colleges and physicians and surgeons in every province and guidelines and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. However, it's very difficult to access abortion in the north. It's very difficult to access abortion in the Maritimes. Mm -hmm. In New Brunswick, abortion is not covered by Medicare, even though that is a contravention of the Canada Health Act. And the federal government has basically said New Brunswick is too small of a jurisdiction for us to fight that over. Oh, come on. Stop it. You can only get medical abortions in Prince Edward Island. There is no provider of surgical abortions in the province. And so we need to really think about Mm -hmm. what it means to make something legal. Like in the U.S., abortion is broadly legal. In Canada, abortion is broadly legal if there's no access to it. And this is not a North American issue. You know, in Italy, abortion is broadly legal, but 70% of providers like gynecologists and other doctors who might be asked to provide the procedure Mm -hmm. have filed notice that they are conscientious objectors. So depending on where you live in Italy, it may be legal, but there may be no provider. Yeah. In Germany, you're required to wait 24 hours after counseling. In the Netherlands, you're not only required to wait, but the law actually states you need to think carefully about what you're about to undertake. I can't. I cannot. (laughs) And so it's really important that we not look at the U.S. and think it's... Mm -hmm. Oh, we love to pass judgment. Yeah. And it's really important, too, that we not look at the U.S. and think this is like a quote-unquote southern issue. If you listen to those states I named, we're including places like Pennsylvania, Idaho, Ohio, South Carolina, New Hampshire... These are not like states that we think of as having typically like sort of deep South politics, mm-hmm. maybe South Carolina, but yeah. Yeah. these are states all over the union. And I think it's really important to note that this is an issue where voting matters, but yeah. this is also an issue where the courts matter. And that I think is the most frustrating thing to a lot of people because actually broadly safe and legal abortion is supported as healthcare mm-hmm. in most jurisdictions in most places, laws don't necessarily reflect yes. what people actually believe. Yeah, it's elected officials passing their own bias and judgment. I just hate it, right? Because it always ends up falling on the people who are most affected to say, well, you need to self-advocate by electing better officials. And it's yeah. like, 
Uh, I'll get right on that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. I live in a gerrymander district, but thanks. Okay. Yeah, I'll put it on my to-do list. You know, get groceries, pick up the laundry, uh, vote in better non people. Got it. I'll get right on it. <laughs> so that's that's the end of my like my like legal <laughs> spiel. But I really do think the context is super important, and I think too that it's really easy to think it's not an issue that could ever affect you, mm-hmm. uh, and. I just think it's unlikely to be true. You know, I think it was Kate Harding a few years ago who who started a Twitter campaign that was called Shout Your Abortion. And it was mm-hmm. trying to show the vast number of people who undergo this medical treatment yep. every year because they determine it to be the right treatment for them. There's no other medical treatment that we treat this way. And I think that's really important to keep in mind. Actually, that's not true. We do this to people who are seeking trans health care. Yep. <laughs> so there are other treatments that we treat this way. But contextually, let me just say, healthcare is healthcare, and people yep. should have access to the healthcare that they need. Yeah. And it should be free. Sorry. <sighs> just want to throw that in there. <laughs> Get it all out. Get it all out. <laughs> Here's the thing. And I, I have heard no shortage of women say this, and I have heard very few men say this. And I'm not necessarily saying that men are all but this is not a women's only issue. This is a human rights issue, and it's something that we all need to be better advocates for and we need to be better supporters for because I I bet you we would not have an issue with this if it was an quote-unquote affliction that affected men. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely not. Uh, Absolutely not. It's worth noting, too, that limits on abortion they don't stop abortions from happening typically they just stop abortions from happening safely yes however the rate of abortion has dropped in the u.s and and that that is Mm. likely an access issue because the rate of abortion in canada has stayed basically the same since the 1960s Mm -hmm. if we really want rates of abortion to drop and people to be functional whole members of society then that has to come with that's an education issue it's education it's access to birth control it's access to other aspects of healthcare. you know in many ways an abortion is the procedure of last resort for someone Mm -hmm. who was not able to access birth control or other family planning methods and so you know when we see the rate of abortion dropping in the u.s we should remember that People who are forced into family situations that are not what they seek out, mm-hmm. <laughs> they they have harder lives. They have yeah. lower incomes overall in their lifetime. They have uh, more struggles with mental health. They have more struggles with addiction. It's a bizarre thing to say that we care about life and so we ban abortion mm-hmm. when really what we're doing is condemning people to a life that isn't the one that they've chosen. And like, I thought y'all were the country of freedom. (laughs) Well, and that's just it, right? Because at the end of the day, the argument against abortion is not actually about abortion. It's about controlling women's bodies. And oh boy, you know, you and I have had so many conversations about how we mistreat women, how we don't believe women, how Basically, just how we as a society have been groomed to hate young women and 
this is just another way of doing it, right? It's about mm-hmm. controlling women's bodies, controlling their choices, controlling their lives. And I'm just so tired of it. You know, increasingly we're seeing things like heartbeat bills, which ban abortion after uh-huh. the heartbeat is detectable. You know, and as someone who has just very recently gone through a pregnancy loss, even when you are paying very close attention to everything and you Mm -hmm. find out about your pregnancy really, really early, um, that heartbeat doesn't always mean that pregnancy is going to be viable. The heartbeat is a bizarre mechanism. And if you're not trying, the heartbeat comes at seven weeks. That's one missed period. Yep. Like, (laughs) I just... I am so frustrated by laws that are so separate from the science and the medicine. Mm-hmm. Reality, even. And I, I don't know why that's allowed to continue. Yeah. It's because not enough people care, unfortunately. One aspect that I find really interesting in this book is its willingness to push the status quo in so many ways, and the film mm-hmm. too. But like, <sighs> Veronica increasingly over the course of the narrative becomes politicized right she becomes increasingly angry that she is going through this absolutely bizarre and it is truly bizarre and we will get to the fun and the bizarre now Mm -hmm. um (laughs) this absolutely bizarre series of events she has to go through but at no point does veronica question that she's being asked to lay out five hundred dollars for this procedure which is another thing that makes it inaccessible for so so many people yeah yeah Like, why is this something that she has to pay for? And why is the dollar figure so high? Like, that, I think, is a mark of privilege that Veronica never really ends up reconciling because she comes from a solidly middle class to upper middle class home, right? Mm -hmm. So for her, $500 is just the amount she has to pay. And she's less concerned about that than the money it will cost her to get across state lines and the fact that they need to pay for food and to get home on time and to make sure that nobody knows she's doing this. And there's a lot of funny comedic mileage that comes out of that and like their money troubles and their transportation issues and all that kind of wacky nonsense. But yeah, at the end of the day, this would be a very different story if Veronica was black or if she didn't have money. I mean, even to a certain extent, the fact that she has to rely on somebody else because she doesn't have a car that she can use. Like, these are all salient plot points that this story could be so, so much darker. But also, we should all be wondering, why? Why is this the case that she has to undergo any of this? Class is really interesting in this book, too, because uh, financially, the family is quite secure. They're secure enough mm-hmm. that they can financially support Veronica's sister and her family as well. Mm-hmm. And we know that there's no question that they will do the same for Veronica yes. and Kevin if they were to decide to keep the baby. In fact, that's one of Kevin's selling features. He's like, your parents will help us buy a house. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, great. <laughs> oh. But at the same time, Veronica is the first person in her family to go to college. Mm-hmm especially to go away to college. Her sister was accepted to a nursing program, but didn't get to go. Mm -hmm. And so class and culture are kind of at loggerheads in this film. Things that you might expect to be easy for Veronica because the family is financially stable become difficult because of the family's values. And I I found that a really interesting interplay. You know what we have not done? What's that? We've not said who wrote this book. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> so the book is co-written by Ted Kaplan and Jenny Hendricks. I believe Jenny Hendricks is a screenwriter, if I'm not mistaken. And I think that they also wrote the screenplay for the film. They co-wrote it. There's actually five writers on the film, Ooh. which I found kind of interesting. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, so it is co-written by them, as well as the director, Rachel Lee Goldenberg, and then Jennifer Caton Robinson, as well as William Parker. So five writers in total. That's busy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much of the like hijinks of the book we want to go into, Joe, or if we want to focus on comparing it with the film. I think we've talked about everything I really wanted to talk about. I'm very interested in the book in how almost universally bad all the men are, except uh -huh. for Bob the limo driver. Yes. Bob the limo driver is the only good, reliable dude. Mm -hmm. We have, we've already talked about Kevin, who not only tries Just to garbage. control her body, but yeah. is a stalker. Mm -hmm. We've talked about her father and the way her father's respect and frankly love is entirely conditional. Yeah, but he's barely there. So it really like the bad dad thing is a little bit on Veronica's side, but it's more so on Bailey's side. And I could only imagine your face when we get to the confrontation scene where Bailey shows up. It, it turns out that her parents are divorced. That's one of the reasons why the friendship ended between her and Veronica, because Bailey changed because her parents were getting a very not great divorce. Veronica can't handle being in a relationship with anyone who's not perfect. Mm -hmm. ah! <laughs> yeah, but Bailey hasn't seen her dad in quite some time. He lives in Albuquerque. It's actually the secret reason why she agrees to help Veronica. And she has this absolutely just soul crushing encounter oh with him where he basically says, I never wanted to be a dad. So that's why I just left. It's so well written, let me just say, because... Mm -hmm. We have this character, Bailey, who has been up to this point so strong and fearless. Nothing yes. gets in her way. She nope. is the absolute rock. Veronica could not be doing this without her, even though she mm -hmm. hates asking her in the first place. <laughs> yes. Everything about Bailey is strong. And then she has this conversation with her father and she crumbles mm -hmm. and she can't even really express herself. And it's this moment where... Veronica steps in to defend her friend and actually tases Bailey's dad. Um, it's a lot, but it's this important moment of Veronica actually showing up for someone else, which is not something that she is used to doing. Mm -hmm. But what's so carefully constructed about that scene is Bailey's fragility and the importance of parental relationships. And, you know, the ways in which both these girls have really been let down by the people mm -hmm. who are supposed to care about them the most. Yes. I think that's a really significant theme that's, of course, all wrapped up around keeping or not keeping this baby, right? That, like, yeah. there aren't actually a lot of good role models of committed parenthood in this book. Yeah, it, it's very interesting, right? The question of what type of parent Veronica could be is not a factor in this book. No. There is never a, hmm, do I want this baby? Maybe I should give this some thought. The minute she finds out that she is pregnant, she is online looking at abortions and where she has to go to get them. And I honestly really, really like that. But it means that the concept of parenthood is then put onto these I mean, they're not huge characters, right? Like, Veronica's parents are there, but they're not super present. And then Bailey's dad doesn't really become a figure until near the end of the book. Like, Bailey talks about him being absent, and we learn that that's why the friendship ended. 
but it's not until we see him that he truly becomes a figure that we can process. And I thought it was interesting because so much of the book is actually interested in like, who do you become as you get older, right? Like Veronica's doing this because she's trying to protect her future. And the concept of parenthood doesn't factor into that. It's not that dissimilar to what Bailey's dad is saying, but Mm -hmm. he's saying it in a really cruel and malicious way. And he's an adult and Veronica Mm -hmm. is 17. Yeah. And he's, um, I guess it's a really good reminder that the fact of having a kid doesn't make someone into a parent, right? Yeah. You know, what all of these abortion laws try to claim is that once the baby is here, you find You'll feel love. differently. You'll mm. feel differently. Yeah. And, you know, Bailey's dad is proof that that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Frankly. Whereas somebody like Bob, who is positioned mm. as just a, a wackadoodle guy who drives an antique limo, We know next to nothing about Bob, and he is a better father figure than either one of their dads. Yep. Absolutely. I love Bob. (laughs) I'm about to spit off about Bob. (laughs) I mean, really, at the end of the day, this book begins as a staunch defender of abortions and women's right to choose. But the takeaway to me is about the importance of finding people who truly accept you for who you are, which is like a a great universal YA treatise. Mm -hmm. I like it. I like the book. I like the film. If you're going to give me the option, I'm going to go for the dramatic version of this because I do think it pulls less punches. I don't know. I'm interested to hear what you think about this, Brenna, but this feels like a way to sugarcoat abortions and get some of this messaging across by packaging it as a little bit more of a candy-coated, mm. this will go down easier, but we're still telling people, hey, this is a really important issue. You need to care about this. I think I feel that more about the film than the book. There okay. are some moments in the book that I think are really beautiful where it becomes clear that the regrets or anxiety or fear that Veronica has have nothing to do with her choice to get the abortion. She knows she's getting the abortion. but Yeah, I love it's rational. There's no emotional component to this. It's not like, oh no, she's very much like, this will ruin my life. I cannot do this. It's not about a public stance. This is for Veronica, for where she's at, a baby is not part of this plan. But where she does feel regret or fear or anxiety, it's about the social perceptions mm-hmm. of her, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. She can't be the quote-unquote girl who got the abortion. And as Bailey yeah. points out to her, but you are the girl mm-hmm. who gets the abortion. And actually, that's, I think, the most important thing that the book does. Well, it's in the movie, too. It is in the movie, too. You're right. But um, <laughs> I think I just think there are more moments of... You know, in the book, we get a lot more of this performative Mm -hmm. Veronica. Mm -hmm. We do get some of it in the film, for sure. But there's a lot more of this performing for social media thing that Veronica does in the book. She's always taking these, like, photos and faking what she's up to. So that, you know, she's actually being pretty savvy. It's so that nobody realizes that she has disappeared and tries Mm -hmm. to find her. But it's also about maintaining this fake version of her life and it drives Bailey up the wall because Bailey much prefers the honest Veronica who needs the abortion to the perfect Veronica who has this superficial relationship with all the people in her life. And of course the book is about unpacking that and, and Veronica learning to be a whole person. Mm -hmm. But that's what I find so interesting. It's not about abortion 
as something she will personally regret. It's about the social and cultural stigma around abortion. That's what she fears. And I think the book does a really, really good job of exploring that while still being fun and palatable. And by the way, super quick read. I read this book in a day. Yes. Yeah. It is one of the fastest reads we've had in quite some time. Mm -hmm, And I, I agree with you. I I sometimes wish it was even more explicitly spelled out because it still feels like it's very much a personal thing where Bailey is saying, oh, well, I prefer this more authentic you. But I think I almost wish that it had been clear that it was like, hey, if more girls like Veronica Mm -hmm. talked about their abortions, the stigma wouldn't be as strong, right? Because the conception is, and this is more of a plot point in the film, the idea of uncovering whose pregnancy it is. Oh my and God. of course, wouldn't it be a girl like Bailey, who's a bit of a freak and probably having a lot of casual sex? Like there's so much sex shaming and weird shaming and otherness shaming in the film where Bailey seems like a far more likely candidate because of course it couldn't be a girl like Veronica. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, maybe we should transition over yeah. since we've been talking about the film. <laughs> Fine, you're fine. You always use a condom, so you're fine. Hey, dude. <laughs> I've got this thing. If a young woman needs a procedure, is that possible? Where's the closest facility? There's an Albuquerque in Missouri. The law won't let me get one without my parents knowing. I know we're not close anymore. True. And I'm the last person that you want to help. Accurate. But I need your help, and I don't have anywhere else to go. Go where? To get the thing, the the procedure. So you're hiding this from your man, your best friend. Hey, girl. And your Jesus freak parents. And you thought, why not ask Bailey Butler to drive me hundreds of miles? Because she probably doesn't have anything to do anyway. Kind of, yes. Bailey, Bailey, come on. I'm just messing with you. You're right, I do not have anything going on. I thought you drove a Camry. Woo! Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico. We'll be in Albuquerque by tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. No. And we'll be home Sunday evening. I'm setting the alarm for 5 a.m. Self-care, huh? I had to post something so people wouldn't bother me. Of course, so people wouldn't know you're with me. We both know you wouldn't do the same for me. You made it really hard to be your friend. I'm sorry that I couldn't be perfect for I you never all the time. I needed you to be perfect. I appreciate everything you've done for me. You crazy idiot. That is so goddamn nice. Let's go! Put him in the bathroom. Okay, so we've quickly addressed some of this. Yeah, film came out in 2020. Important to note, Brenna, that this is not a theatrical film. And I do Mm -hmm. think that that explicitly matters, not just because it came out in 2020, which was, you know, (laughs) a completely alternative universe in which you couldn't have a lot of theatrical experiences. But this came out Mm -hmm. on HBO Max. It didn't have to contend with public perceptions of going to see the abortion movie in person you could watch it at home in the privacy of your house but it also means that it didn't make money it didn't signal to other people there's a market for a film like this unfortunately i also think it's a very interesting note and important note that it's an hbo max release not a netflix release right right like far fewer people have hbo max it's in far fewer homes and living rooms and so Mm -hmm. Its ability to find probably the people who need to see it most 
we're not there yet. We're not at, at broad wide release yet. Yeah, exactly. So in the film, we've got Haley Lou Richardson as Veronica. She's a bit of a staple of YA film. She's the star of that Five Feet Apart film, which we've talked about a couple oh, of times. She looked really familiar to me. Yeah, she's, she's done a lot of YA stuff. So she's a figure. And then we also have Barbie Ferreira, who rightfully gets singled out as the star because oh, Bailey so is a bigger than life character. And Barbie Ferreira is honestly a legitimate joy she is like mm -hmm. i can't even say sunshine encapsulated because bailey is a bit of a dark figure but she is wicked and just everything about the character in the book and the film is magnificent and i think that mm -hmm. barbie ferreira is captivating and you wouldn't know her brenna but she's one of the stars of hbo's euphoria and that character is repeatedly fat shamed and to a certain extent slut shamed but she has a very good grasp of who she is and what she wants and she's a progressive figure on the show so i actually really appreciated that in the film we're not doing as much of that like there's a little bit of slut shaming but it's actually misdirected and we don't get fat shaming in this. None. I was really delighted by that. I also really love the contrast of these two actresses because mm -hmm. they do scream their types from from yeah. the rooftops in a way that works really well for the buddy comedy, right? You want mm -hmm. those two seemingly opposites to be thrown together and it works really well. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. So we have Alex McNichol as Kevin. I don't really know him. That's fine. He... He looks so familiar to me. He looks like, what's that guy who was in Supernatural and um, Gilmore Girls? Uh, Jared Padalecki? He looks like, yeah, he looks so much <laughs> like that guy to me. And I was like, is this like his little nephew? Like, what is happening here? It's very distracting. Okay, okay. I can see it. But he has no Wikipedia page, so I have no idea of anything about him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he just screams sort of stock jock to me, and that was fine. That's exactly who Kevin is. I was mm -hmm. deeply disappointed that we don't get a punch-out scene like we do oh. in the book, because it's so satisfying to finally so see satisfying. Veronica stand up for herself. And I'm not going to condone violence, but I am Kevin bit. really deserves it as a character. Yeah, he really did. <laughs> Uh, one of the sort of not insignificant changes, some of the adventures change form. So in the book, Bailey ends up taking them to a gentleman's strip club, and she gets a ride from a bisexual slash pansexual stripper who is later revealed to be uh, an anti-abortionist with her boyfriend. And that gets displaced into two separate storylines in the film. So we have singer Betty Who as Kira, who is Bailey's love interest. And then we have Brecken Meyer and Sugar Lynn Beard as Mark and Kate, and they are the anti-abortionists. I would say that this is the wackiest, most extreme yeah. comedic beat in the film, but I also kind of think it's the most successful. It's interesting. I, I really like the So this culminates in an anti-abortion bus chasing the girls yes. through the desert. Mm -hmm. And it's visually really good. I Hilarious. will say that the thing I miss in the film because they've like sort of extracted those two characters mm -hmm. is the stripper who is an anti-abortion activist ends up being a really effective satire condemnation of the hypocrisy of religion right yes. because in the book 
that character is so certain that God forgives everything that she does, but mm-hmm. so certain that Veronica will be condemned to hell for what she's yes. about to do. I love Bailey's line where oh she <laughs> asks the stripper, oh, do you ask for forgiveness after every lap dance or do you wait until the end of the shift? <laughs> Good. little judgy it's, about a sex worker but well it's judgy about a sex worker but it's in the service of this kind yes. of hypocrisy and i i do think that much like the book is much harder on men as we've already talked about i mm-hmm. also think the book is much harder on religion than the film is yes and maybe that's a good segue to talk about mary mccormick who has a mm-hmm. cameo as veronica's mother because one of the things i aggressively dislike about the film i think it's more realistic that the girls ultimately end up having to call their parents so that they can pay for a plane ride back home but there's this moment where veronica breaks down to her mother where she has confessed the truth of the situation and she says that she worries that her mother would never forgive her and it's not that her mother who is uh, played by mary mccormick does She says, I don't agree with your choice, but I could never hate you. And it feels so middle of the road. It's not hard enough on religion, but Mm -hmm. it's also not giving into it in a satisfactory way. Like my husband, Brian, watched it with me and he was like, so there isn't even this moment where she realizes, oh, I was wrong because now that I'm faced with my daughter having to make this decision, I need to really give it some more thought. Like, so it, it felt unsatisfying in both ways either be harder or give into it i a hundred percent agree a hundred percent agree i was really frustrated with the ending although it did make me cry which made me mad at myself Um, (laughs) (laughs) like because yeah i guess she's not rigid enough in her beliefs Mm -hmm. to fight but she's not compassionate enough with her daughter to share that moment fully and so as a result neither is satisfying Mm -mm. at all and it's clearly meant to be Mm -hmm. this is clearly meant to be a okay we understand each other better now and we don't get anything like this in the book there is very little particularly with veronica's mom she's kind of a can you help me with the dishes? Let's not talk about it kind of figure, but she doesn't return at all once the road trip begins. So to artificially put this scene in as some kind of catharsis that doesn't work was really baffling. Yeah. As you know, I always really get mad when I get emotionally manipulated. So mm-hmm. I was quite ragey at the end of the movie. I was lying in bed at like 11 o'clock at night watching and Dev came in. And he was like, why are you crying? And I was like, I'm crying because this movie's a jerk. <laughs> this movie made me feel things, but it was unearned. <laughs> Yeah, so we haven't mentioned that uh, Bob is in here as well. He is played by Giancarlo Esposito, who we've actually talked about a couple of times on the show because he pops up fairly frequently as a bit of a father figure. And I didn't like this. He's a very weird kind of PTSD conspiracy theorist that they win over. And it was just a, a different choice for this character from the book, but I didn't understand why. I was going to say, it felt unnecessary. It mm-hmm. felt like they were trying to add some kookiness to a character who, yeah. frankly, is already kooky. Mm-hmm. He runs a limo rental in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> like, he's already a kooky, strange character. And for me, there are moments of extreme that work. Like we already said, the the 
anti-abortion couple is a, is a key one. And there's mm-hmm. moments of extreme that just kind of make me roll my eyes. And this was a make me roll my eyes moment. Although I do think that Giancarlo Esposito does a good job of conveying that softness that yeah. becomes so important from Bob's character. So I, mm-hmm. I like him in the end, but I don't understand why they rewrote him the way they did. Yes, full agreement. This is an actor where whenever he shows up in a project, I am immediately endeared to the character, even when he's playing a bad guy, as fans of Breaking Bad would know. But he's just really, really good. I just didn't particularly like this character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So we talked a little bit about some of the adventures. We talked a little bit about the ending. I want to tackle the depiction of the friends, because... That was the other part that the film fell flat for me. And I think it's just because I had read the book. So I was anticipating it was going to be a little bit more of that. We still get some of the social media posts. We get the friends thinking that Bailey is the one who's getting the abortion or is pregnant. But the other piece of the ending that I found really unsatisfying was the cafeteria confrontation. So in the book... Veronica ends up coming clean to her friends. It's a bit of a ranty spiel. Well, because she catches them. Yes, yes. <laughs> say it, say it, you say it. She, she catches them flirting with Kevin. Mm-hmm. And there's always been this joke in their friend group that like they would all date Kevin if they were ever to break up. And it's yes. super gross. And it's just a reminder that in the book anyway, it's very clear that Veronica is a useful friend to have because mm-hmm. she's dating the captain of the football team. There's a sense that you know, her star has risen and she's brought these other girls along with her who would otherwise probably be pretty just like nerdy nice girls, but Mm -hmm. instead they get rocketed up in their popularity because of Veronica. Yes. And the userousness of that relationship is very clear in the book. Mm -hmm. In both ways, like Veronica has chosen these friends so that she can be the queen bee. And I really like that. I think it tells us a lot about the social hierarchy in a way that we're used to seeing exclusively when we're dedicated to like, we're in school, we're taking classes, it's about popularity more specifically. So I like that that gets factored into the book. And then in the movie, it's just kind of absent, like these friends pop in for the occasional scene. But then specifically, we get to this cafeteria confrontation, and Kevin is nowhere to be seen, like we don't even (laughs) see him again. So It's just them making judgments about people because they're catty. And Veronica goes, I'm the girl who was pregnant. And then she just walks away. And again, I was like, this isn't as cathartic or as like, yeah, girl, that I think they think it is. It was interesting to me because it would be the fitting ending for a 20 minute, 22 minute TV episode about this idea. Mm -hmm. But it's not at all satisfying when you spent an hour and a half with these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. It's just bizarre to me, especially because we do have the two authors of the book working on the screenplay where this was a choice that they made when they moved into a visual medium, but it just is not as effective. Yeah, I totally agree with that. But overall, I will say I thoroughly enjoyed both the book and the film. I think if you went into the film and you were just watching it, you would probably enjoy it quite a bit more because it is, I mean, we haven't talked enough about just there is so much joy in this road trip and the wacky shenanigans and... And the chemistry between Veronica and Bailey is magic. Watching their friendship Mm -hmm. 
sort of reignite and then flourish. And they both do such a wonderful job of evoking. Mm -hmm. I think everyone's had that moment, right? Where you reconnect with someone you haven't seen in a long time. And Mm -hmm. all of those inside jokes, like there's the awkwardness at first and then all the inside jokes flood back. And there's like Mm -hmm. this sort of nostalgic joy about that time together and this film really is that like it's very sweet and i love the two of them together absolutely yeah then you start a podcast together you (laughs) work on it for a couple of years (laughs) no i a full 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 agreement to just to be clear i would absolutely listen to veronica and bailey's podcast oh my god in a minute in a heartbeat (laughs) not a heartbeat law just a heartbeat (laughs) joe To the extent, (laughs) what, I'm not allowed to make abortion (laughs) jokes? This movie did it. (laughs) Oh, actually, okay, so I did want one final thing, and then we'll move into YA bingo, because we're running long. (laughs) I definitely texted you about 40 minutes into the film, and I was like, are they honestly not going to say abortion out loud? Abortion, abortion, abortion. Because (laughs) we only saw it written. And you were like, no, no, they say it, they get there. But I was deeply concerned that this was going to be a film that only says the procedure. Shmushmorshman. Oh, boy. Sorry. (laughs) That to me was the most telling, like, I know you said we should not be judgy about the US, comparatively speaking, but (laughs) I was so afraid that it was going to be a case of the only way we could make this movie is if we didn't say the A word. It does feel like that off the top. It's an interesting choice. I'm trying to figure out if they were trying to show Veronica being slow to accept the reality of what's happening, which Mm -hmm. is an important point, right? She knows she's getting the abortion, but there's like this line she can't cross to make it real, which is actually making the appointment. And that's a a point in both texts. Mm -hmm. And so I wondered if it was trying to evoke that, but... I think the filmmakers are either not aware enough of or not in tune enough with the history of avoiding saying abortion in YA that we Mm -hmm. are, you and I are really attuned to. And I think that if they had been a little bit more aware of the impact that that could have on the viewer, they might've taken a different tack because it's, it's stressful. It's genuinely stressful. <laughs> it was. I was yeah. like, I need you to say it. I need to hear the words said out loud. Mm-hmm. Because if we are talking about this whole enterprise being about destigmatizing, and like the movie, if we're being real, there are points where the movie just kind of stops, full stops, so that we can have one of these characters be like, I can't believe I have to do this. I should be able to mm-hmm. get this procedure done. Like, It's a little didactic. It, it's almost a little heavy handed to the point where you're like, we get it. It's a message film, but also you're waiting 40 minutes to say abortion, abortion, abortion. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. I don't know. I wonder if, have we just watched so much YA? <laughs> maybe, maybe. And that we are like, this is a trope that cannot stand. And, but you know, I I actually kind of hold filmmakers responsible to know those those issues in the genre they're working in so yeah it frustrated me too for sure yeah it's a tricky situation because as you rightfully pointed out i don't know how accessible this film is being on hbo max versus another service but obviously streaming is better than theatrical because more people do have access Mm -hmm. to it or more people can see it but at the end of the day I don't know if this is a bit of a changing of the guard. Like, does this mean we're going to start seeing more texts interrogating the notion of women's reproductive health? 
I'd like to think so, but I also don't really. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I don't trust that that's the case. But in much the same way that we said, well, laws are dictating women's access, the reality is, is that studios and financiers are oh. the people who are determining what movies get made. So it's a risky venture to say we're going to give you a couple million dollars to make a movie to talk about abortion because look at how many states have a huge issue with it this is another place too where i think there is such a huge cultural distinction between the u.s and a lot of the english-speaking world which is that these conversations are taboo in the u.s in a way yeah. that even when the laws may not be as supportive as we want, the conversation is allowed to happen more openly. And, you know, we've all, we've given the example of Degrassi before, but I come mm -hmm. back to it here because the Degrassi reboot that is going to be on HBO Max, uh -huh. I'm very curious. Every yeah. iteration of Degrassi has dealt with abortion. Every right. single one. You gotta think it's gonna be there. Right? Or will this be the first to not because it's just not worth the hot potato? I don't know. It's mm -hmm. gonna be interesting to see. I would be shocked and extremely disappointed if it doesn't show mm -hmm. up. Me too, but different showrunners, yeah. the first non-Canadian creative team to take Ugh. on Degrassi. Boo. I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, needless to say, we'll be keeping an eye out for that one in the future. <laughs> oh, we will be watching it. All of it. Brenna's <laughs> <laughs> like, I've already got it slotted. <laughs> okay, well, let's transition into some YA bingo for Unpregnant. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay. Okay. I'm claiming road trip. I got there first. I know, and it's your favorite. I was going <laughs> to give it to you anyway. <laughs> I'm going to take good friendships. Mm -hmm. Obviously, queer secondary character. Uh, yeah. I mean, in a couple of different instances, really. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Well, queer primary character, but mm -hmm. um, also, but also queer secondary. secondary. <laughs> yeah. Um, is that really all I have? <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be all I have, Joe. Uh, oh, I've got hollow a friendships. hollow romance. Hollow friendships, hollow romances. Yes, of course. Of course, of course, of course, of course. I, I suppose we could say abuse for the way that Kevin mistreats Veronica in both the book and the film is a bit of a stretch compared to how we normally use it, though. No, but it is a good moment to remind people that putting holes in condoms is sexual assault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so I will contribute perfect date, and I'm specifically thinking of, I mean, there's a lot of fun interactions, particularly in the book, but I'm going to say the moment that they climb up onto the cow. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And then uh, I don't know if you know her, but Mary McCormick is a pretty well-regarded actress. So when she showed up in the film for it, the briefest of cameos, I was like, stick casting. Okay, that's fair. I'll give it to you because I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, all this to say, this is nowhere near a bingo no. line, but no. I'm not unhappy about it. You know what I'm eager for, Joe? I'm eager mm -hmm. for one day an extremely tropey treatment of abortion. Wouldn't that right? be fun? Let's yeah. get there. Let's one that get hits there. all the points, goes to prom, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> manic pixie dream girl gets an abortion after prom. You know, uh, like let's do it. Let's do it. You know what? It. I would love to talk about Saved with you. It has Manny Moore and Jenna Malone. It's like perfect girl who gets pregnant with her perfect boyfriend. There's an evangelical kind of youth minister in the mix and 
it's really good, but it's caustic humor. Mandy Moore is the religious villain and at one point uh, she throws a bible at Jenna Malone who is the pregnant girl and she goes I am filled with Christ's love (laughs) okay I want to watch this movie all right Joe so I think I mean we've run long today but it was worth it I really enjoyed this conversation and I think we spent a lot of time on the contextual stuff but I think it mattered so I'm glad we spent the time thank you as the person who's not editing it thank you for letting us run long today And thank you as the person who didn't do the research, because (laughs) honestly, invaluable. I really hope that if people take nothing else away from this episode, just we need to do better. We need to be out there. You might consider uh, donating to your local chapter of Planned Parenthood after Mm -hmm. listening to this episode or uh, looking up your local abortion caravan. Those are charities that help get pregnant people uh, out of jurisdictions where they can't have an abortion and safely Mm. into jurisdictions where they can. So I really encourage you actually to like Google those resources in your area, know what they are and Mm -hmm. and give them some money if you have some money to give. Is this where I'm allowed to toot my own horn and say that I give on a monthly basis to Toronto's Planned Parenthood? Yes, it is. Good job, Joe. That's really, really important. And for our Canadian listeners, it's really important to get involved in the conversation here. And particularly, um, if you follow reproductive rights activists working in the North or in the Maritimes, they'll help you get a sense of just how inequitable this issue is here, too. (laughs) So, um, Joe, I think this is a good time to rapidly switch gears to remind people (laughs) that... The next book club, the next band book club, deals with none of these issues, but is a delightful no. friendship comedy all the same. Uh, okay. And that is This One Summer by Mariko and Jillian Tamaki. So go pick that up. It's a quick read and send us your thoughts. If you want to send us your thoughts, you've got something long form. We'll take it at hkhspod at gmail.com. Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got until the end of February. So you have a little bit of time, but it's also a fast read. Yeah, get on it. And Joe, oh, oh, <laughs> what's our next episode about? So I'd love to say that we're going to switch gears and talk about something light. But in reality, <laughs> this was a heavy subject handled lightly. So we're going to handle a heavy subject handled heavily. We're going to be watching another HBO Max property. This one is about the aftermath of school shootings. It's called The Fallout. And it's out now. Oh, hell. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that you'll get out of it without crying because I think it's probably going to destroy both of us. Yeah, I'm guessing it will. I am genuinely looking forward to that one, Joe, as hard as I think it's going to be. And I'm glad we're talking about it because much like abortion, school shootings are Mm -hmm. this wild, horrifying part of growing up and they shouldn't (laughs) be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's bring in stats for that next week, shall we? That'll be cheery. Um, okay, so uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the Twitters. We're at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Please feel free to share with us your thoughts on abortion media or anything we should be checking out. Yeah, yeah. Joe, where do they find you personally? I can be reached at Beast on my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's gray with an A. So, uh, yeah. We'll be checking out Fallout. You should be reading this one summer, and I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Abortions for everyone! Yes. Abortion bingo.
Yeah. And and okay, so let's keep that in the back pocket because well, actually no, let's talk about <laughs> Yeah, full agreement. I mean, this is an actor who whenever he sh- Yes, full agreement. This is a actor whenever he shows up, I am immediately endeared towards whichever mm-hmm. character, even if he's sometimes playing a threatening character as folks from as fans of Breaking Bad. Oh my god, let me just say it all over again. 